and welcome again to the KI Prime podcast. I'm your host, Alina Jenkins, and today I'm speaking to Nicolas Christidis. Nicolas has worked as a dentist for seven years before becoming a senior consultant in orofacial pain in 2011. That year, he was awarded nationally and internationally for his research on mechanisms and factors associated with human orofacial pain. In 2017, he became an associate professor and senior lecturer at the Karolinska Institute. He was elected vice president for the neuroscience group in IADR for 2022 to 2024 and recently became program director for the study program in dentistry. He focuses on pedagogical research, specifically investigating how learning is shaped within different national and international medical and teaching programs. Nicolas, welcome along. Thank you. So, you were the first ever dentist to be approved to KI's Pedagogical Academy in 2020. What inspired you to move away from practicing dentistry and move in towards ped- pedagogical areas? I was inspired first from my father, who was responsible for the pedagogics in the community we lived in. And then when I, as a dentist, worked and could look at how I as a dentist, also was an educator to my patients, I felt in love with the thought of teaching. During my PhD, I had the opportunity to be a teacher during the undergraduate dental student. And I continued with that throughout all years, even though I made my specialist training. And uh, in the early careers, I only worked with pain medicine research. And doing that, you also need to understand that it's not just facts that are responsible for the outcomes in a study. It's also how you interpret them. And when you look at treatment studies, one really important part is patient education. So bringing that together, and when I saw how physicians and dentists wrote their clinical notes, I thought that I had to investigate how and why we write and how we are trained to write our notes. Because when they are insufficient or too short or even wrong, it might lead to great risk for the patients, non-dependent of specialty. And the easiest part was to start with dentists and pain specialists. But we have also looked at nurses and high school teachers. Because it's, I think it's, we presume that everybody knows how to write. Yes. And... It's clear that they don't. So where is your research focusing on and how are you hoping that you can help people become better academic writers? My research focuses on literacy practices, and that means how and why and for what purpose students read and write and how they communicate. And we looked at in one aspect from an educational point of view, how they take notes, but also how they use their knowledge and write patient records and notes and how they describe what they can see in and on a patient. Students have difficulties to describe. They can state a diagnosis, but they cannot describe what they are seeing. And we could also see that on newly graduated medical professionals. So it's not just students. And then we had to scrutinize uh, study programs to see, do we actually educate students? It seems like we do that, but when we have a lot of learning outcomes, I cannot see throughout the duration of the education where students are trained in that. So when I was responsible changing the curriculum for the dental education, we added new learning outcomes. 
and especially in my course where I added training in writing. So students have to write patient records and we corrected them to, in a way to show them how to think, how to write. And the second aspect is that they are also starting to train on communication. So we have a role play that has been added in education because you have to ask a question. You have to understand the answer and also the expressions from the patient that are not words to see how you should interpret it and write it down. Because you might examine a patient, but I will treat it. So if I don't know what I will treat, I might do wrong. We have such similarities, actually, Nicolas, in, 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 in our field of work. So I come from a communication training background. And so I help clients with things like body language and nonverbal cues and tone of voice. But also, as you say, being able to read that in other people so that we communicate better. So is that what you're looking at and helping your students with is, is looking at a patient's nonverbal cues around their body language, their tone of voice? Verbal, nonverbal together. And my goal or wishes to find tools, strategies for educators to stimulate the students and train them and also for the students to take with them for the future profession, non-dependent profession. Because mm. it is challenging, isn't it, to try and teach this and bring this into a curriculum because some of it's very subjective. So uh, what, what are perhaps other challenges that you found in this area of research? It's the limitation of a curriculum because we have only five years. We have national learning outcomes that we have to complete. And then we have local learning outcomes. And in between these, we have to mix in communication. What we have done is that we have a theme called professional development throughout education. And during the first semester, the students start with me and the regulations. Then the second, no, the third semester, we go on to patient. And here we have communication and we continue up and add the team. So in the team, you have not just to communicate with a patient, but also with a nurse or a physiotherapist or a physician. Mm -hmm. So that's how we could implement it in the education. So where are you hoping that this research is going to take you in the next two to five years? My hope is that I will be able to provide a tool that will increase patient safety because that is the main problem. From a career point of view, this is just improved dental education or medical education. When it comes to, if you say, career opportunities, I will become a full professor, but that will be in pain because yes. I also have that leg of research that is still ongoing and we're looking for mechanisms and behind chronic muscle pain and how to treat. So it's a challenge for you, actually, isn't it? To try, you've got, you've got these two areas of focus. You've got the ones around, around the learning, mm -hmm. um, but then also around your, your background as, as, as yes. dentistry. Do you, do you think, do you think you've got the right balance at the moment? Is, is there going to be, and do you want to kind of keep that as a, as a 50-50 split? I will keep it as a 50-50 split because I am able to do exactly what I like. <laughs> I love education. I love communication and literacy and pain has been my interest since the beginning of undergraduate education and in my role as a program director I work with education I have a good network for these educational questions mm -hmm. and a good collaboration and for my pain research 
it's just going on. Yeah. And this, you know, the great thing about being here at the Karolinska Institute is that you are surrounded by by like-minded people to help and support you. I've been asking all of the fellows about mentorship uh, and the importance of that in your career. So can you think of, I'm sure you can, people who've helped and supported you to get you where you are today? Yes. First, my supervisor throughout my PhD studies, studies, Marlene Amber, she has been the best mentor you can have. She knew which steps to take, when to take them. And she mm-hmm. has guided me throughout everything. We also had another person within my specialist area who also gave me advices what to do in which time to do it. This was Björn Appelgren. Mm-hmm. And I had a really good support from my wife and my parents. And my wife is also in this same field and we can collaborate within the pedagogical research, which makes it even more fun because to do something with the person next to you mm. makes it more attractive. We were speaking about this actually um, in some of the podcasts that we were doing yesterday is that when things become fun, it encourages learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you have children and you know, you, it's yes. the same, isn't it? It's, it's if they're having fun, they are learning more. So I guess is, is that something that you're trying to do in your research as well? And the collaborations that you're having is, you know, let's make this fun. Let's- yes. And the people I collaborate with are all polite, generous, positive. So it's not just tough research meetings. Mm-hmm. It's a nice, fun meeting that also includes research. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and just saying on this kind of, this subject of, of fun, we're having a, a wonderful few days here in Stockholm as part of the fellowship program for 2022. So I wanted to ask you what it means for you to be one of the fellows this this time round and hopefully what it might mean for your research as well. Actually, I was really honored to be part of this program since I saw myself as novice within pedagogical research. But then throughout this program, I understood that it's not just research. Writing a book is also a part that could help and improve the learning. And I think that the network that will that is possible here mm-hmm. will make extra possibilities for the future because we can collaborate. It's really hard when you do research just looking in one country or one site, when you can generalize your results having different parts of the world, mm. you might get results that can be implemented everywhere, mm. or you can draw conclusions. And it's the same with pain research. Now we are analyzing children and following them for two years to see how pain affects them or how other factors in the environment affects pain, mm. like school, anxiety, socioeconomic status, area of living, safety, etc. In Sweden, we do it in Italy, we mm. do it in Saudi. So we will have a great part of the world and together mm. we can get results that can be used mm. and improve the life of children. Yeah. Which as you said, and this is, you know, coming back to the academic writing, it's about improving lives, it's improving yes. patient safety. I think a you know, final question that I wanted to ask you is, what do you think makes a good writer? What are the what are the elements that somebody has to have to be a good writer and a communicator in this field? To be a good writer, you need to know the language well. And that starts from school. So you need to have a good school system. Because if you're not sure or certain in your mother tongue, it will be really hard to write in a foreign language. Most of science is written in English. That is not the mother language of most people. I am bilingual from 
Swedish and Greek, so it was easier for me to learn a third language. Mm. But you need to be passionate and like to sit and concentrate, to play with words and synonyms to see mm. which word could fit best for this one, because there are small nuances in the words you use when you talk to a patient or a person and when you write that can improve the text and make it more interesting to read. Mm. And I guess the, the, the challenge is that m many people who come through the medical profession are perhaps what we might call left brain, very science focused, mm. very detailed focused. And what perhaps you're asking them to do is to go more towards their emotional brain yes, and think about their emotional language. How do you want the other person to feel? So is that something as well that you, you, you talk about? I talk about it, Yeah, how you should behave when you talk, because when you have a patient with pain that suffers, you have to feel, make that person feel comfortable to be seen because they have been around through the medical system for years. Nobody's listening to them and their friends and family think it's boring to listen to their complaints. But when they come to you, you have to make them seen and felt comfortable when they ask a question. When you ask a question, listen to their answer. Either you ask an additional question or discuss around the answer because then you make the person important. And that is part of the treatment. And it comes back to empathy as well. Something we've been talking about over the last few days is mm. that importance of empathy, because again, we presume that people are naturally empathic. Do you think that's something that can be, I think maybe taught might be the wrong word, but maybe coached or encouraged for those who aren't natural empathizers? You can be caught, coached to it. I think so, because... I, since I try to do that for my <laughs> students, I have to believe that. <laughs> but if you look in the younger children, like my daughter's class, they have we, every week they have a theme about how to treat others, about empathy, about how to be a friend. So I think it can be taught, but you need the environment. Mm. It's not just enough that the parents tries to teach because what you see is what you will do. And throughout the medical education, it, you cannot have just one course or one module teaching this. You need to see it in all subjects, yeah. in all aspects. And the empathy is not just in patient care. It's when you have a colleague or a friend. Mm -hmm. So it has to be taught more than just once. Yeah, I really like that idea. Nicholas, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you to everybody listening at home. Uh, thank you for your time listening to the KI Prime podcast. For now, goodbye. <laughs>